National Archives podcast series, Watch the Birdie and Say Cheese. Identification of 19th century photographic processes, presented by Stephen Harwood. The definition of a photograph is that of an image produced by the chemical reaction of metallic salts to light. Photography did not simply arrive with the patenting of the daguerreotype in 1839. For centuries, scientists and chemists had been experimenting with the reaction of light to certain metallic salts. Aristotle carried out experiments with the effects of light on mineral pigments and coloured salts. Alchemists in the 16th and 17th centuries experimented with silver nitrate. Between 1795 and 1802, Thomas Wedgwood, the younger son of Josiah Wedgwood, the famous potter, and the chemist Humphrey Davy began producing early photogenic drawings known as profiles. These were contact printed in a printing out frame and although the process was successful, it had a serious flaw. The image once produced stayed sensitive to light and could only be viewed in very dim light conditions. It was not known how to fix the image. Joseph Nisiphor Niepce carried out the first successful attempt at photomechanical reproduction in the 1820s. He had only limited success using silver nitrate on paper and turned instead to the principles of etching. Discovering that a type of asphalt, known as bitumen of Judea, became insoluble when exposed to light, he coated a pewter plate with bitumen thinned with oil of lavender and contact printed the engraving. The still soluble bitumen was then dissolved and the plate put into an acid bath. The hardened areas of the bitumen acted as a resistant so that the acid etched only the uncovered metal of the lines scratched through the bitumen. Niepce made two such intaglio heliographic plates and sent them off to an engraver who deepened the lines. In the early 1830s, William Henry Fox Talbot began his experiments to try to capture a permanent image on paper. He was unaware that similar work had been begun in France by Nisiphore Niepce and was being continued by Louis Daguerre. The advent of photography was gradually to change people's general perception of their environment. They could now have a true likeness of their loved ones or a favourite place. Both amateur and professional photographers would report both on major events around the world and occasions of more local interests. The roles of the topographical and the graphic artist were to be gradually replaced by that of the photographer. Anyone with access soon had the potential to become an armchair traveller as the world and its diversity of cultures and flora and fauna was recorded. As time passed and photography became more inventive, images could be produced on leather, wood and china and even made into jewellery. The size of the image also became more flexible and varied. As photography developed, so did the camera, and by the late 1880s, the first cameras that took roll film had been invented, enabling continuous images to be taken. What I'm going to do now is take you through some of the more important photographic processes that those that you may well find in your own photographic collections. The first are called photogenic drawings, and they predate 1839. Fox Talbot was working on these in the mid-1830s. A good quality paper was immersed in a solution of sodium chloride, table salt, and allowed to dry. The paper was then coated with a solution of silver nitrate. This formed light-sensitive silver chloride in the paper. A specimen, such as a leaf, was laid on top of the paper. The paper was then put into a printing-out frame and placed in direct sunlight to produce the negative image. It was then washed, stabilised and fixed. 
One of three metal halides was used as a stabiliser. Potassium iodide produced yellow highlights with brown image details. Potassium bromide resulted in slate blue-grey highlights with brown image details. Or sodium chloride, which produced lilac highlights with brown image detail. The drawings were then fixed. In the early days, this was done with a common salt solution, but later sodium thiosulfite was used. So John Herschel first suggested the use of hypersulfite of soda as a fixing agent in 1839, and it was in general use by 1841. Hypo, as it came to be known, removes silver chloride and provides a more stable print, and it is still in use today. The identification of photogenic drawings are that they are a negative image, they are experimental and can still be prone to fading. Their tone may appear to be anything from a reddish colour to a pale lemon, depending on the chemicals that we use to fix them. The image is within the paper fibres with no emulsion layer. The next one is the daguerreotype, which date from around about 1839 through to the 1860s. While Fox Talbot had been producing his photogenic drawings in England, in France, Louis-Jacques Mondet Daguerre had been working on his daguerreotype process. A daguerreotype consisted of a silver copper plate that was sensitised over fumes of iodine and was then exposed in a camera. The image was developed by exposing the plate to mercury fumes, which brought out a light image on the silver surface. This was then fixed in sodium chloride, later sodium thiosulfate was used, washed and dried. As the image was on the surface of the plate, it was easily damaged. The daguerreotype left the photographers protected by a brass mount around the edge of the plate and a piece of glass over the image. All the component parts were held together with a thin brass frame and placed in a leather-bound case. The identification of daguerreotypes. The daguerreotypes were expensive and each was unique. However, they are quite easy to identify and can be recognised by the mirrored surface. As the polished plate reflects the light of the image, which is in reverse, appears either negative or positive as the viewing angle is changed. A plate which has been removed from its original protective studio mounting will almost certainly be in a very poor condition. While these were going on in France, Fox Talbot was producing his colour type and salted paper print process. This again dated from 1839 through to the mid-1850s. These two processes are often confused as being one and the same. A salted paper print is sometimes referred to as a colour type and vice versa. In fact, the colour type is the paper negative process and the salted paper print is the positive produced from it. In combination, they were the first of the negative positive processes. Fox Talbot developed a calotype process in 1839 and patented it in 1840. Good quality writing paper was sensitised in solutions of potassium iodide and silver nitrate. He then placed the sensitised paper in a camera and exposed it to sunlight. The exposure time depended on the brightness of the sun. The latent image was then developed in solutions of gallic acid and silver nitrate and fixed. To make the paper translucent, it was generally waxed after processing. This could then be used as a negative from which a salted paper print could be produced. Multiple prints could be taken from the colour type. The salted paper print, a good quality rag paper, was immersed in a solution of sodium chloride and allowed to dry. It was then sensitised in a solution of silver nitrate and again dried. The paper was then ready for use. Together with a calotype negative, the salted paper was put into a printing out frame and placed in direct sunlight. The print was then washed in water to remove the unexposed silver nitrate and fixed. 
Some early photographers preferred to size the paper before use. This would alter the tone of the print. If the paper was sized with starch, the final print yielded brown tones, while gelatin-sized paper gave a more reddish colour to the print. Uh, the identification of these, the image is actually within the paper fibres as no emulsion was used. This is known as a one-layer process. Under magnification, the paper fibres are quite visible through the image. This has a soft, slightly grainy appearance due to the production of paper negative. The tonal range is reddish-brown. The next process to come along was known as the cyanotype. Cyanotypes were patented in 1842. They were invented by Sir John Herschel. And this process used paper impregnated with iron salts as opposed to silver salts. A sheet of paper was coated with solutions of ferric ammonium citrate and potassium ferric cyanide and dried in the dark. The specimen to be reproduced was placed on the paper and placed in a printing out frame before being put in direct sunlight. After an exposure time of approximately 15 minutes, the paper was washed in water. The oxidation process produces the brilliant blue cyan from which the process derives its name. Cyanotypes were then not much used until the end of the 19th century when amateur photographers used them for proofing snapshot negatives. The identification of cyanotypes is very easy because they are of their brilliant blue colour. They are also a one-layer process with the image embedded in the paper fibres with no emulsion layer present. We're moving on to one of the glass processes now, which was the wet collodion glass plate negatives from 18, basically around about 1851 to the 1880s. F. Scott Archer patented this process in 1851. Collodion was a cellulose nitrate-based material dissolved in ether and alcohol. The first step in the process was to hand-coat the collodion, which contained potassium iodide, on a sheet of glass. The plate was then sensitised in a bath of silver nitrate to form silver iodide. While still wet, the plate was exposed in a camera. The plate became insensitive if the silver iodide formed during sensitising was allowed to dry, as the remaining silver nitrate would crystallise to form a network pattern that would show up on the final print. The necessity for exposing in the wet state gave the process its name. After exposure, it was developed in a solution of pyrogallic acid and acetic acid. The plate was then fixed in sodium thiosulfite and washed. Using collodion glass negatives with albumin-coated paper for the positive print revolutionised the field of photography. The final image produced with these negatives has more definition than a salted paper print. As the plates had to be exposed while still wet, travelling photographers would have to take portable darkrooms with them. It was not an uncommon sight to see a huge tent-like object in the middle of a countryside with a photographer underneath it. The identification of these, the emulsion layer on the glass plate will appear as a cream colour. As it was coated by hand and not machine, it will also be very uneven towards the edges of the plate. We're moving on now to the albumin print, which was one of the major 19th century photographic processes from around the 1850s to the 1890s. Blancard Everard introduced the albumin process in 1850. Albumin, the white of an egg, had a metal halide such as sodium chloride, were mixed together, left to subside and finally filtered. This was coated onto a sheet of good quality paper and allowed to dry. The paper was then sensitised in a bath of silver nitrate and dried a second time. To produce a positive print, the prepared paper was placed together with a collodion glass plate negative in a printing out frame in direct sunlight. 
Printing could take anything from a few minutes to an hour. The print was then washed and fixed in sodium thiosulfite. Most albumin prints were gold-toned after processing. This improved the appearance of the photograph and helped to protect it from fading. The paper used to support the albumin was normally quite thin, which was required because of the method used in coating. If the paper was too thick, it became very difficult to manipulate when floated in the bath of sensitising solution. Most unmounted albumin photographs had a tendency to curl, so they were usually mounted on thin card. The most popular presentation designed for the albumin print was the carte de visite. AAE Disderi introduced this in 1854. Gradually larger formats were introduced such as the cabinet card, Trilby, Victoria, Promenade, Boudoir and Imperial. As the albumin process developed, coloured dyes were added to the albumin mixture to impart a tint in the final print. These various tones ranged from pale pink and pale blue to a delicate violet. The albumin process is a two-layer process, the paper support and the emulsion layer. Under magnification, it is possible to see partially covered paper fibres as the albumin emulsion layer was quite thin. Also, albumin has a tendency to crack as it dries, so the print may be covered with tiny fissures or cracks that can be sometimes seen with the naked eye. They are also prone to fading. The fading normally occurs from the edge of the print towards the centre. The tone of the print ranged from reddish-brown to a deep purplish-blue, depending on the amount of toning it received. The image always has cream-coloured highlight areas. We're looking now at the ambrotype or collodion positive um, from the 1850s through to the 1860s. The idea that a collodion negative could be turned into a positive came from Frederick Scott Archer in 1852. It is sometimes referred to as an ambrotype after James Ambrose Cutting, who patented the process in 1854. A collodion so-called positive was a collodion glass plate negative that was either painted black on the reverse or backed with black material and normally placed in a small leather case very similar to a daguerreotype. It was mainly used for landscapes and portraiture. These were very popular during the 1850s, as unlike the daguerreotype, they were cheap to produce. They're actually quite easy to identify, because unlike a daguerreotype, the collodion image is seen as a positive image from any viewing angle. It has a slightly grainy appearance, unlike the much sharper image of the earlier process. This again was a one-off process which could not be reproduced. We're looking at now the ferrotype or tintype. Uh, these were very popular between the 1860s and the 1930s. Tintype was in fact a misnomer as his process, patented by Hamilton Smith in 1855, used iron, not tin. A thin iron sheet was coated with opaque black or brown enamel paint. This was then given an application of sensitised collodion emulsion before being exposed. By adding mercuric chloride or nitric acid to the developing solution, the image within the paint layer became a greyish-white colour and could be viewed as a positive on the iron sheet. The whitened image took on the appearance of highlights and the black background formed the shadow or dark areas. This was then washed, fixed and finally varnished to protect it. Tintypes were very cheap and easy to produce and mainly used by beach or street photographers. The tintype is often found loose, although some may be presented in decorative paper mounts. As the substrate is iron, there may be signs of rust blisters on the surface of the image, the back of the plate or even rust spots on the paper mount itself. 
Tintypes are also attracted to a magnet. This was another one-off process that could not be reproduced. Our next process is the platinum print or platino types, again which date from around about 1873 to circa 1914. This process was invented by William Willis in 1873 and utilised the light sensitivity of the iron salt ferric oxalate. A sheet of paper was sensitised with a solution of potassium chloroplatinate and ferric oxalate and exposed until a faint image appeared on the paper due to the reaction of the iron salts with daylight. The image was then developed in a solution of potassium oxalate. This dissolved out the iron salts and reduced the chloroplatinate salt to platinum in the exposed areas where the iron salts had been producing a platinum image. The paper was then washed a number of times in weak hydrochloric or citric acid baths to remove the remaining excess iron salts and given a final wash in water. The tone of the platinum print was slate grey if the developing fluid had been used cold. Used hot, warm brown tones could be achieved. With the advent of World War I, the cost of platinum rose dramatically, so it was replaced with palladium, which was cheaper to produce. This was another process that did not incorporate the emulsion layer. The image is a one-layer process with the image within the fibres of the paper. It is also a very permanent process, not prone to fading or tarnishing, with good tonal gradations. If platinum prints are housed in an album, they can sometimes be identified by rust-coloured discoloration on a preceding page caused by residue iron salts diffusing from the platinum paper if the print was insufficiently washed. Uh, we're now looking at the carbon print process from the 1860s through to the 1930s. It was patented by Alphonse Louis Poitevin in 1855. The carbon print was improved by John Pouncey in 1858 and finally made practicable in 1864 with the printing papers of Joseph Wilson Swan. The important characteristic of a carbon print is that it is permanent as it contains no silver impurities that can cause deterioration. A sheet of paper was coated with gelatin containing a pigment, usually carbon black, hence the name of the process, and potassium bichromate. This was exposed to daylight under a negative. The areas of gelatin exposed to light through the negative hardened. To wash away the soluble gelatin and reveal the image, the face of the exposed carbon paper was placed in contact with another sheet. This was then soaked in warm water. The original sheet of paper was peeled from the second sheet. The soluble gelatin was then washed away, leaving the image on the latter. This was then immersed in water containing alum, which hardened the gelatin and removed any staining caused by the potassium bichromate. Because the image was transferred onto a second sheet of paper, it was in reverse. It could also be transferred to any surface. Carbon prints on ceramics, glass, wood, leather and metal were all utilised. Carbon prints can be of any colour depending on the pigment that was used. This is a two-layer process consisting of a layer of gelatin on paper. These prints sometimes have a slight relief image that was formed during processing seen as a contour at the edges of the light and dark areas. Small flecks of pigment may also be present in the highlight areas. It is a very permanent process that will show no sign of image deterioration. The paper fibres may be seen in the highlight areas, but not where the gelatin is thickest. They were used for book illustrations, large topographical views, and for commercial portraiture in a variety of formats, including carte de visites and cabinet cards.
We'll now look at gelatin dry plate glass negatives from the 1871s, and they were still being used in the 1970s. These were invented by Dr. R. L. Maddox in 1871. The gelatin dry plate negatives gradually replaced the wet collodion glass plate negatives. Gelatin is an organic material obtained from animal protein. It is hygroscopic. It dissolves when warmed and if dissolved in sufficient water, sets as a gel when cooled. It can also hold light-sensitive silver halides in solution. The sensitized gelatin was machine-coated onto a glass plate to achieve an even coating right up to the edge of the plate. The emulsion on the plate will usually be dark, unlike the collodion emulsion which will appear a cream colour when coated onto a glass plate. But the image can show signs of metallic tarnishing that can make it appear to be reflective. They are sometimes still found in their original boxes. We're now looking at collodion prints. Around the late 1880s and early late 1890s, collodion was used for printing out papers. This was coated onto the barita paper and contained an emulsion that was sensitised with silver chloride and stabilised with citric acid. Collodion prints were very glossy and were ideal for commercial portraiture. However, there were problems with these papers, as the collodion did not absorb water or swell when wet. This led to problems during the processing stage and gave collodion papers a reputation for being difficult to produce. The gelatin papers quickly overshadowed them. It can be quite difficult to distinguish the difference between collodion and gelatin papers. They can be similar in surface character and image colour. Both will have a barometer layer. Gold toning was used for both processes, producing an image colour which ranged from reddish-brown to purple. And finally, we're looking at gelatin silver papers dating from the 1880s to the present. The process that was first introduced for glass plate negatives was soon applied to paper. The first types of papers were development papers, which were exposed briefly under a negative, then developed out. Printing out papers followed these. The silver salts contained in the gelatin binder are either silver bromide or silver chloride, or a combination of both. In 1873, the first silver bromide papers were invented by Peter Maudsley, but did not come into general use until the 1880s. These were developing out papers as opposed to printed out. The difference is as follows. Developed out papers were exposed briefly under a negative, usually in an enlarger, and then the image was brought out by chemical development. Printed out papers were exposed under a negative for a considerably longer time and the source of light brought out the final image by physical development. Both types of paper had a coating of barium sulphite over the support paper onto which the gelatin emulsion was applied. This was known as the barometer layer. The purpose of this was to prevent any impurities in the paper support migrating into the gelatin emulsion. It also imparted an extra brilliance and contrast to the final image. By the mid-1880s, gelatin papers had gradually replaced albumin in popularity as the image was more stable. This is a three-layer process. Under magnification, the paper fibres will be completely obscured by the barometer layer under the gelatin. The surface of the print can be glossy or matte depending on the barometer coating. The matte prints can appear to have an orange peel effect. The image tones will indicate whether the print is printed out or developed out. Printed out papers depict warm image colours, red or reddish browns to purple. Gold toning could also be used to improve the final image colour. Developed out prints have a near neutral image tone. 
blue blacks through to neutral black. However, both processes may also show the presence of silver mirroring or image deterioration which will appear as a silver bloom around the edges of the print. This occurs when the silver within the emulsion is attacked by any of a wide variety of oxidants that convert the metallic silver atoms to the highly mobile colourless species known as silver ions. These in turn migrate to the uppermost surface of the gelatin layer and reduce back to the metallic state to form an almost continuous layer of tightly packed silver particles. Inappropriate storage conditions of the print can be one of these factors which lead to this problem. Ideally, the, the cooler that you can keep a photographic collection, the better. Um, ideally, if you can freeze the, the objects, then the longer the, the cooler they are kept, the longer they will survive. But the recommended storage conditions for photographic collections are as follows. A temperature between 5 and 18 degrees C and a relative humidity between 30 and 50%, ideally around about 40%. This event was recorded live as part of the Catalogue Awareness Day on November the 30th, 2007 at the National Archives. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, all rights reserved. <laughs>